I'm Sienna. I'm the kid. I'm Sarah. I'm the mom. This is Queer Kids Straight Mom. Let's talk. Welcome back to Queer Kids Straight Mom. We hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving and that no one experienced any major family drama. Hopefully this conversation isn't late for some of you because you might have already faced some of these things at the Thanksgiving table. But we want to prepare you for the rest of the holiday season because a lot of times at the holidays with family and old friends coming together, we find ourselves surrounded by people who might have a more diverse array of opinions than the social groups we choose. And that can sometimes mean hearing people say things that are offensive or hurtful. Or wrong. Or wrong. And while it can be really tempting and sometimes much easier to keep your mouth shut and just say, eh, he's just going to say those things. There's nothing anybody can do about it. There are good reasons to speak up and say something. I just came across this article a few days ago in the New York Times called Speak Up at Thanksgiving, Your Health Depends on It. Obviously applicable to other holidays as well. It's written by an organizational psychologist named Sunita Saw. Though people are reluctant to speak up on controversial issues because they don't want to bring distrust or disapproval from others, constantly suppressing our emotions and opinions especially if those come from genuine concerns or moral standpoints, can lead to a lot of problems. It can lead to depression and even health issues like immune deficiency, cancer, and hypertension. So it truly is bad for your mental and physical health to not say anything. And not speaking up can also mean unintentionally validating misinformation. When somebody says something that, as Sienna said, is just wrong and they leave the table with nobody having said anything otherwise, they're going to continue to believe that and say it to other people. And that is how misinformation spreads. One good approach to speaking up without being confrontational is to respond with curiosity. So asking questions such as, what do you mean by that? Or what do you miss about the good old days? Expressing an interest in somebody else's point of view instead of just saying, wait a second, that's not true, can be more productive. Ultimately, speaking up can lead to some really insightful conversations and improve the well-being of the entire family because strong social bonds have the opposite effect of suppressing emotions. They make us healthier and happier. So we've put together a short list of just some of the statements that we have heard people say that tend to be sort of anti-LGBTQ talking points that we just wanted to give you some information a lot of you are going to know a lot of this already, but sometimes it's helpful just to like have those talking points in your head and be ready to speak up because you shouldn't have to just sit there quietly while somebody is attacking you or people you love. So what are some of these things? First, LGBTQ people are grooming kids. We've talked about this a little on a previous episode. We talked about like, what are the things that are actually harmful to kids? I'm going to mention a couple of them again. There is an issue with sexual abuse and assault with young people. Like this is not something to take lightly at all, but 
there's no evidence showing that LGBTQ people are more likely to commit sexual assault or abuse. Getting to know the people your kids spend time with, other parents and kids, coaches, teachers, etc., babysitters, those are the best way to protect your kids. So when people say that keeping them away from gay people or not allowing transgender people in bathrooms is how you protect your kids, that's obviously just wrong. And, you know, incidentally, some of the same people who'll be like, homosexuals are grooming the children are the same people who are like, no, you have to give grandma a hug. You have it's nice. You have to be nice or like won't refuse to talk about sex with their kids. And those are things that actually are associated with child sex abuse, because if you teach kids that they don't get to set boundaries with adults because adults know what's best, you're teaching kids that if someone is touching them in a way that they don't feel comfortable with, they can't say anything. If you are refusing to talk about sex with your kids, if you refuse to use, you know, anatomically correct terms with them, you are also teaching kids not to understand what is happening to them, not to understand what their body means and what it's doing. And you are taking away the language that they need to express if something is wrong. So, you know, those are some things that maybe people should actually be concerned about. And, you know, we talked about this on a previous issue, but using the term grooming the way that a lot of people are using it is also harmful because it moves the conversation away from what grooming actually is. So it's reasonable to point out to people that when you say that rainbow displays and books with two gay parents is grooming, you're misrepresenting what grooming is. And it might end up going undetected more often because people don't even know what it is they're supposed to be looking for. So that's the details. So say somebody at the table says that like, oh, they're just out there grooming kids. I think a reasonable question is like, oh, what are some things that you've seen that you're worried about? And maybe, you know, see if they can give you some specific examples and then start with a really simple statement. And if they push back, then, you know, you have all this information we just gave you. So if somebody at the table says gay people are grooming our kids and you ask and maybe they have examples, maybe they don't, maybe their example is a book about two penguins it's completely fair to just say, actually, all of the research shows that there's no link between those things and sexual abuse. But I think it's really important that we talk about some things that are. And then maybe you can have a good conversation about how to keep kids safe, because hopefully that is the motivation of everybody at the table. You know, I think you could also like, you know, say they're like the gay penguins or whatever. Just be like, oh, why do you see that as different from a book with straight parents? Um, because sometimes I genuinely think that that hasn't occurred to people. I mean, I had that conversation with dad where he was like, well, it's not appropriate for there to be gay people in children's movies. And I was like, that was a long time ago, right? Oh, a few years ago. Yeah. And I was like, but why? And he was like, actually, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes making people think about it instead of just parroting something they've heard they might realize that they don't actually have a problem with things that they think they have a problem with. Another favorite, there are only two genders. It's biology. The response to that is there are examples of non-binary genders throughout history all over the world. By gender, you probably mean biological sex because gender is a person's self-representation as male or female or other, whereas sex is a classification based on the reproductive organs and functions that come from the chromosomal combinations XX or XY. But 
biological sex is actually more complicated than that. There are plenty of conditions that blur the lines between male and female. For example, a condition called androgen insensitivity syndrome leads some people to have an X and a Y chromosome, but physically appear to be girls. Without genetic testing, they are assigned female sex at birth and raised as girls, and they might not even realize they're not biologically female until they hit puberty and don't menstruate. There are also about 2% of individuals that are born with ambiguous genitalia. Typically, doctors try to determine biological sex by examining chromosomes or looking at whether the baby has ovaries or testes or whether they have a womb. They also look at the hormones being produced and try to guess how genitals will develop. But some babies fall between in some of these areas, for example, having a womb and testicles. Doctors tend to feel pressure to choose just one sex for the baby. Ironically, a lot of the people that criticize doctors for performing gender-affirming treatments don't realize that babies are having surgeries done to designate one sex or the other instead of letting them just develop and live as they were created. Yeah, you're concerned about children not being able to consent to gender-affirming procedures. Can a baby consent to sex reassignment surgery? No, they cannot. Another example is that in a elite athletics, testosterone is often being used to decide who can compete as a woman. But there are women who were assigned female at birth, raised as girls, but have really high testosterone levels. In fact, it's not that uncommon in elite athletes. Or even in the case of the South African runner, Castor Semenya, have XY chromosomes. This is a little bit of a rabbit hole that you can always offer if someone's really interested in the subject. But New York Times did a fascinating article about, like, where did this obsession with, you know, testosterone levels in female athletes come from? And it turns out it had to do with communism and people being freaked out about a Russian athlete in the 1950s or 60s, because like, of course it did. The biological reality is actually a lot more complicated than people generally want to give it credit for, because testosterone also isn't just directly linked to performance in athletics. Like, it's just not. In fact, a lot of the women who have high testosterone levels also have androgen insensitivity syndrome. So their bodies aren't responding to testosterone in the same way. So, you know, anyway, would highly recommend checking out that article. Also, clownfish. <laughs> clownfish can change sex to me that's really all you need to say is if someone says there are only two sexes and that's science be like just like clownfish mm, that's an interesting conversation <laughs> and then but then they'll probably be like well those are fish we're talking about people but but people are more complicated than fish. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Incidentally, here's another one. In birds, specific species of bird, not all birds, but there's a specific species of bird in which the XY and XX chromosomes are flipped. So the combination of chromosomes that gives you female versus male is actually different. And the female is genetic material determines the sex of the baby. Hmm. Maybe just stop talking about biology when you haven't. So instead <laughs> of saying that, the more tactful <laughs> approach would be to maybe ask so how do you define what is male and female? And then from there, you know, just something really simple, like I've been reading about this and it's actually a lot more complicated. And then you can go whichever, you can talk birds, you can talk clownfish, you can whatever from there. We've given you a lot of material. It's more complicated than that. That's a great way to start. And then, you know, you start talking science and not sure what will happen from there, but we wish you luck. Okay. Another one. The whole thing about mutilating kids' bodies with gender-affirming care. There is a lot of really good information if you want to go back to our interview with Dr. Catherine Lowe that we did last spring. She gave us some really good explanations. The bottom line is that surgery on minors is incredibly rare, only recommended when it's life-saving. 
you know, I've had people jump out and say, oh, you said rarely. So it does happen. So the rare exceptions are 16 and 17 year olds. And the surgeries have been done when these individuals have been consistent in their gender identity for years, have been taking gender affirming hormones for some time and have gone through standards of care criteria and are experiencing extreme anxiety, depression, or suicidality. They're also not surgeries that are unique to transgender people. They've been done on cisgender and intersex people for years for various cosmetic and medical reasons. The only two medical treatments generally available to minors are puberty blockers and hormone therapy. Puberty blockers simply put a pause on puberty, which resumes when one stops taking them. Hormone therapy, which is generally for older teenagers. Like when someone would be having puberty. You know, creates very, very slow changes, and some of them are reversible. These therapies are only recommended when kids are suffering from gender dysphoria and healthcare is needed. Incidentally, they originally developed for use on cisgender children. So, like puberty blockers were originally developed for people going through early onset puberty. And to even get these therapies, they have to have experienced. Several symptoms of gender dysphoria for at least six consecutive months. A letter of support, this is best practices, a letter of support from a therapist and written concurrence from a mental health professional, parental consent for those under 18, and ongoing psychotherapy. Those are fairly gentle treatments, and it's still a ton of work to even qualify for those. You have to go through a pretty long process. Hormone pills aren't just being thrown out left and right. You get a hormone pill and you get a (laughs) hormone pill. And like I said, these are best practices. There are doctors out there who do unethical and medically unsound things. There are doctors getting people ivermectin for COVID. There are doctors abusing patients. If you hear of a fringe case, which I'm not aware of, doesn't mean it's policy or best practice or that anybody that supports gender affirming care would support it. Just because there are bad faith actors doesn't mean you ban an otherwise perfectly sound supported medical treatment. So somebody says, I'm not going to get behind doctors mutilating kids' bodies. You know, a good question is like, well, what are some of the things you've heard of happening? Then I'm not sure what they're going to come up with. But first of all, surgery is not best practice for minors. And if you ask questions, you've got some information here. Here's a wild one. I had a guy on a campaign I was working for say that his mom read something about a crazy lady who had hooks surgically implanted in her child so that they could wear a tail. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't think that's a thing. Where did you see that? It's like, I don't know if my mom said it. It was like, Okay, barring further information, I don't think that's a thing that happened. Oh, yeah, we didn't even think about the litter box conversation. (laughs) Anyway, just respond with that isn't a thing. This is not good information. There's the whole opinion that kids are exploring LGBTQ plus identities because their parents encourage it. Oh, if parents were setting more boundaries and modeling better values, these kids wouldn't be confused and drawn to these things. Experts have found no evidence that increased exposure to topics of sexuality and gender make kids more likely to join the LGBTQ plus community. 
There's no evidence that being open and accepting about these issues makes kids decide to be gay or transgender. And according to the Trevor Project's research, LGBTQ plus young people who were out and felt that their sexual orientation or gender identity was accepted by a parent or caregiver had around 40% lower odds of attempting suicide in the past year than those who were out and did not feel accepted. So if the concern is the health and well-being of kids, having expressed acceptance in your household is really important. So I'm not even sure what question to ask about that. I mean, I think it's really important to ask, like, why is it so concerning to you that kids might be exploring their identity? Like, what's wrong with that? Fundamentally, it's not any different from, like, a straight girl being like, I'm going to go on some dates with some different guys because I want to find out what kind of guy I'm interested in. Yeah, I mean, and I think the bottom line that nobody wants to admit is the fear is that if they don't just put the lid on that immediately, they're afraid their kids will explore ideas and find out that they might be gay and then, oh, horror. Well, yeah, and so that's why you say, why are you so concerned about that? Yeah. And then, oh, I have to admit that, oh, maybe I'm a little bit homophobic. Whoops. Yeah. And then, you know, if it goes to, like, I just think that it's confusing for kids when they're, like, you know, presented with all of these things that they could be and nobody's putting boundaries on gender and sexual orientation and all of those things. Say, yes, but if you're worried about the health of kids, showing acceptance is better for kids. Because if they do turn out to be one of those things and you can't stop that, if that's the case, it's a lot better for them to know that you love them unconditionally than to have been in a household where, no, it's not okay to be gay. And then they are gay. And then they can't tell you because you made it clear that it's not okay to be gay. It's much more harmful. It's kind of like a career or something. It's like saying, well, how will my kid know what they're going to be as an adult if I let them try all the things they're interested in? Like, they might turn out to be an artist. (laughs) If you say, no, you have to be a doctor, all you can be is a doctor, and your kid is inclined to be an artist, they're still going to be an artist. They're just going to be really sad. Or they're going to be a doctor for a certain amount of time and be like really, really miserable and then have a nervous breakdown and become an artist. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. And then lastly, I love this one. Not having strong traditional gender roles hurts our national security. Like, it sounds so ridiculous. Here is what Representative Jim Banks from Indiana has to say. The Pentagon's diversity and inclusion policies have harmed recruitment, retention and morale, wasted service members' time and taxpayers' dollars, and undermined the apolitical character of the military, which is a major threat to democracy and the American way of life. People are very concerned about the idea of the military becoming, quote unquote, politically correct. It's also common to claim that transgender service members are unfit because gender dysphoria comes with mental health issues. But it's also treatable. Acknowledging it and treating it and having access to health care make it so transgender service members can do their job just as well as anybody else. Also, cisgender people can also be depressed. It's only a matter of if you meet the criteria. Like, if you're depressed and suicidal and not a functional human being, you don't meet the military's criteria in the first place. Has nothing to do with whether or not you're trans. Right. Meanwhile, as far as the actual state of the military, in 2018, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand asked, all four service chiefs from Air Force, Army, Navy, and the Marines, if there were any issues of unit cohesion, disciplinary problems, or issues or morale 
resulting from open transgender service. And all four replied that they were not aware of any. Nobody had heard of this being a problem in the actual setting. However, according to senior Department of Defense leaders, the rising trend of anti-LGBTQ policies across the country does hurt service members and their readiness. How are they supposed to do their jobs if they don't feel safe or they're worried that their families could be denied critical health care in their state? According to the Center for American Progress, more than one decade after the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell, LGBTQ plus service members continue to encounter significant harassment and discrimination that often bars them from career advancement, affects their housing and food security, and compromises their mental and physical health. So if military health and readiness are a concern, it's stigma and discrimination, not the presence and acceptance of LGBTQ people that are the threats. Not to mention how badly the government actually treats veterans. I don't think that the problem here is that people aren't interested in joining the military because they're too effeminate or whatever. It's, it's because they don't want to get exposed to chemical weapon that the government drops on people and then, you know, 50 years later be told, we don't think that your health problems are really related to that. We're not going to give you any compensation. Like, that's the problem here. Not like, I'm too girly to join the military. Also, to be honest, if all the men are too girly to join the military, the Bush lesbians can just take it over. Mm. Mm-hmm. What you can see from this is that like mom has the serious, thoughtful, interesting responses and I have the troll responses. Yeah. So don't, don't do Sienna's. Do mine. A good question is how do you think it hurts our national security? What are things that you've heard of happening that prevent military readiness? And then be ready to respond with it's actually the way LGBTQ plus service members are treated that makes it harder for them to do their jobs than anything inherently to do with them being LGBTQ. I also came across an article. I think it was the Heritage Foundation. I know you love. They were also very concerned that that allowing transgender people in the military would signal to our enemies that we're more concerned with political correctness than challenging other powers. So, like, I'm not, you know, a military hawk over here or anything, but to be honest, I kind of feel like, okay, let them attack us then. See how well that goes for them. Like, we're still the most funded military in the world by, like, quite a lot. Anytime they push on the U.S. military even a little bit, they're going to get smacked down so hard. Like, my dude, I would not be worried about that. And frankly, if there are powers that view us as weak because we have transgender service members, those service members are also probably going to feel motivated to defend their country and the fact that they actually can serve. I also kind of think that the great powers competition is a little bit overblown. Like there are certainly some policy things that, you know, like I'm a fan of supporting Taiwanese independence. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a thing that we should be, you know, cognizant of as a country. And I don't have a problem with us supporting that. But but the idea that like anything China does that is successful is a threat to America to me is a little bit like y'all are just like flexing at one another for no reason. So anyway, this is getting a little bit into like geopolitics here. But anyway, <laughs> also in Excellent holiday table <laughs> conversation starter. <laughs> I do actually want to push back a little bit. Like, you know, obviously a lot of the things I've said are not the way I would approach 
these topics with families. But you also do need to take into account like some people actually genuinely do respond better to a little bit of trolling. Sometimes if you engage with someone on too emotionally candid a level, this is very much dependent on the person. But, you know, there are people out there like this. They will see it as sort of a, oh, you're just a social justice warrior. You're just like so politically correct. Why do you got to take everything so seriously? You're going to have better luck calling them out in a, in a little bit of a snarky way. Like that would not work at all with your family. But, you know, there are people for whom that's going to resonate more for whatever reason. They're not interested in having an intellectual conversation. You just got to make them feel stupid. Read the room, folks. <laughs> a well-delivered snarky quip can also be very effective. Worst case scenario, there's always the air horn. <laughs> don't do that. Please don't do that. If you do, don't don't say I said to do that. <laughs> anyway, I hope these things are helpful. I know it was a lot of information and that's kind of distracting, but hopefully you can take away from it. Because I have this knowledge, I can say confidently, no, that's not true. So best wishes for successful holiday conversations. On our next episode, we are going to talk about gay holiday movies. And we don't actually know how many of them there are. And we have a feeling there's probably a really like wide spectrum of quality in gay holiday movies. Was there a gay Hallmark movie? That sounds like a thing that happened recently. So we are going to watch them for you and tell you about them, what they got wrong, what they got right, and try to save you from watching the ones that are really bad. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Until then, hopefully everybody is enjoying the festive season and finding love and support, if not in your biological families, with your chosen families. We wish that for all of you, and we will catch you next time. Bye. If you found this podcast helpful, interesting, or just mildly amusing, please consider rating and reviewing us on your podcasting platform of choice. It really helps us to get the word out there and spread this information as far as we can. And as always, check out our website at QueerKidsStraightMom.com or visit us on Facebook, QueerKidsStraightMom, Instagram at QueerKid.StraightMom, or Twitter at QueerKidSTR, the number eight. Mom. And if you're feeling especially generous, please consider joining our Patreon by searching Queer Kids Straight Mom. It helps us fund this podcast.